0: Chapter 7 of the Cruise of the Falcon by E. F. Knight. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 7 Montevideo and Buenos Aires. The climate of the River Plate is exceedingly changeable and trying. The day we came in, it was quite cold. The day before, the thermometer registered 102 degrees in the shade when the south wind blows from over the cold antarctic seas the weather is bracing and cool but with the north wind coming as it does from over thousands of leagues of parched pampas and tropical jungles the atmosphere is hot dry and oppressive as that of north africa when the camson blows all skippers that have been unfortunately compelled to put into montevideo for repairs to their vessels anathematize it and we were not exceptions to the rule a wretched german who called himself a ship's carpenter undertook to repair the damages to our stem and bulwarks he not only made a miserable job of it but detained us seventeen days and finally presented us with a most exorbitant bill never having been a witness to a bullfight curiosity led me to visit the arena one sunday it was a glorious day true river plate weather that is with a cloudless pale blue and peculiarly clear sky overhead the clearness of the atmosphere in this land of the pampas is very remarkable and it causes the vault of the heavens to appear to be much farther off and vaster than in other lands the stars too at night shine with an exceeding brightness they seem to be at a far greater distance than those over our hemisphere and one can see more of them further up into the heavens as it were so pure is the sky stars behind stars archipelago behind archipelago of them to infinity on this day a great slaughter of bulls and horses had been promised to the populace so the glaring white streets that led out of the town to the amphitheater were thronged with thousands of pleasure seekers who were on their way to the cruel games it was like the road to the Derby without the rowdyism. In carriages, trams, and on foot, the crowds poured on, while over the balconies of the houses leaned the pretty Montevidean girls, fanning and laughing and flirting as they looked down on the human flood. We entered a tramcar, for, of course, being a South American city, Montevideo has scarce a street down which the tramway rails are not laid and drove some miles to the pretty suburbs of town where nestling in lovely gardens are gaudy villas of pseudo-classic and italian style generally painted outside in delicate tints of pink yellow and blue which suits the climate well enough at last we reached the amphitheater gay with the flags of uruguay and spain we paid our dollar and a half for a sombra seat that is one on the shady side and entered the huge structure it was just the roman amphitheater all over again uncovered to the blue sky was the great circus with the flights of bare stone steps sloping down to the arena on which the common spectator sat and there too was one scarlet draped box in which sat a bloated grandee in bright uniform and much be president or great minister i know not which with the sycophants all around him just as bloated emperor or consul sat in his purple drape box long ago under as blue Italian skies, while beneath him the gladiators fought to the death, or Christians fed famishing lions. And no whit less brutally savage was the spectacle, and no less cruel and ready with a police verso were the spectators on this fine Sunday afternoon in this civilized city of Montevideo, in the year of grace eighteen eighty than in the roman circus of two thousand years ago there was a very full house and there was no small number of our ruddy blue jackets and marines among the sallow spaniards i was pleased to see that contrary to my expectations only two women were present and these were foreigners and evidently members of the demi-monde constant communion with strangers has possibly softened the manners of the women of this branch of the spanish race for it is certainly not the thing in montevideo for a lady to assist at a bullfight, but on the other hand there were a great many young children of both sexes present that had been brought hither by their fathers and the bloodthirsty little dears enjoyed themselves amazingly i had never seen a bullfight before and in my ignorance imagined that there might be something more in it than mere cruel brutality some good sport or display of skill i do not know that such may not be the case in spain but in montevideo this amusement is merely the ordinary business of an abattoir glorified by music and gay costumes and a strong spice of unnecessary cruelty danger to those engaged in the fight is reduced to a minimum after waiting about a half an hour there arose a martial fanfare of trumpets a door opened and there galloped forth a picturesque procession first rode the proprietor in his black velvet dress mounted on a fine coal-black horse then came the Toradors, picadors and matadors in the gaudy and beautiful costumes peculiar to their respective duties and lastly came four horses drawing a yoke this to drag out the carcasses of bulls and horses that were to be massacred during the games three times to the lively strains of the band this procession galloped round the arena and then went out again the door closed and there were left alone in the centre two picadors on their horses each with his long lance and a group of footmen with scarlet cloaks over their arms and the cruel little darts in their hands then came a suspense and a pause in the chatter from the stone steps for a few moments and quickly another door opened and out rushed head down a savage little bull of the pampas who made it pretty lively for everyone for a short time but between his wild rushing hither and thither the being dazed by the scarlet cloaks that were thrown across his head the loss of blood from lance wounds and the eight little darts that were sticking in his flanks the poor beast after a few minutes became weak and showed disinclination to continue the unequal combat but this was not what was intended by his cowardly foes he must kill a horse or two ere he be permitted to gasp out his life on the blood-stained sand of the arena and be at peace the people wanted the smell of more gore and the pleasant spectacle of prolonged dying agonies before they could let him go it was now the duty of the picador to place the horse on which he was riding across the path of the bull as much as possible and no longer to avoid him it was a disgusting spectacle the picador himself, with his legs thickly padded with lead and cloth, could suffer no injury from the animal's horns, while his wretched horse had bandages over his eyes that he might not perceive the infuriated bull that charged him, take alarm, and run away. Neither horse nor bull were quite up to scratch, for the former heard and trembled, though he could not see, and the latter was now weak and faint so we enjoyed the elevating spectacle of attendants whipping up the poor horse and others stabbing and torturing the dying bull into one last infuriated charge maddened by his tormentors at last he did charge the picador kept his horse broadside on to the attack and loud cheers of bravo toro saluted the bull as he ran his horns into the belly of the poor animal that then thrashed wildly away almost unseating his rider in his agonized plunges with his bowels dragging over the ground as he went the bull had yet the horse of the other picador to disembowel or blind or tear asunder in some other way before his turn came to die he lay crouching in a corner with the blood pouring out of his nostrils with every heavy gasp still at bay though and ready to stagger to his feet and defend himself on the approach of an enemy only to fall again with half his life gone out with the exertion then came up the matador with a scarlet cloak on his left arm and rapier in the right hand he came deliberately up to the bull and after a little dodging deftly ran the long steel into his brain and the poor beast was free at last the work of the matador is the most merciful to the bull and the most dangerous to the man of the whole performance for when the bull as often happens has still a good deal of life left in him the slightest divergence in the rapier thrust might be fatal to the unskillful swordsman seven bulls were tortured and slain this fine sunday afternoon and some fourteen horses till the white sand was red and reeking with the blood and entrails of the poor beasts when a horse was not killed outright by a bull only disemboweled or with his shoulder ripped up or the like he was taken out doctored and patched up his wound sold up and plastered over to stay the flow of blood and then he was brought on again half an hour afterwards weak and staggering to face and ultimately be killed by another bull during the course of the afternoon one incident gave great pleasure to the spectators a savage little yellow bull charged with such fury that he tossed a horse and picador clear into the air the man fell half stunned with the horse on the tops of his legs the bull then stood over them and commenced to deliberately gore his prostrate enemies to death it was splendid sport for the people and a loud cry of bravo toro bravo toro went up no horror no sympathy for the wretched man was expressed on any face of that large crowd of spaniards merely fiendish delight in the horrible scene the people stood up and shrieked with frantic joy and laughed to see the cruel horns bury themselves in the soft flesh the picador was not killed for his comrades diverted the bull and rescued him i am sure that many of the spectators looked on this as very unfair that they had been defrauded at the best part of their entertainment how exciting to have seen a man slowly gored into shreds brutal our prize-ring was no doubt but what can be said of this torturing of the noblest of dumb animals that i have attempted to describe as i saw it myself this day throughout our stay at montevideo the weather was abominable violent squalls occurred daily and it blew a gale of wind three days out of four an exceptional state of things in midsummer we rolled and pitched so much at our anchorage in this unprotected port that the carpenter was unable for ten days at a stretch to get his stage alongside in order to fit on our new stem post indeed we were occasionally running our bows right under in the short nasty seas nor was he able to effect the repairs on deck during this time for the wretched fellow got seasick as soon as he stepped on board of us Thus, it was not until the 20th of January that we got all straight again. On the 21st of January, we weighed anchor at noon and proceeded out of the harbor under all plain canvas to sail to Buenos Aires. It is customary for strangers to take a pilot from Montevideo to Buenos Aires, but we did not consider this necessary in the case of a small vessel like ours. There was a fresh east-southeast wind-blowing, so that we were enabled to set our spinnaker and kept up an average speed of seven knots throughout the voyage at ten p m we made the chico lightship, ship and then keeping the lead constantly going sailed over the flats in about three fathoms of water until at seven a m on the morrow we reached the guard ship which is moored about twelve miles or so from buenos aires from here we could see the long line of the houses of the city and the vessel in the inner roads we hove to off the guard ship in order to await the doctor's boats and obtain practique before sailing into town many large vessels were at anchor around us rolling heavily in the rough pea soup colored water for no vessel of considerable draught can approach nearer to the shore than this indeed none of our big men of war could come anywhere near argentine waters the royal mail steamers have been known to ground even so far out as these outer roads as they are called for where the vast plains of the pampas terminate in the sea so gradual is the incline that it is really difficult to say where the sea begins and the land ends the gnarled mangroves grow far out into the water from the swampy shores so flat are these alluvial plains that a rise of one foot of water only will overflow the land miles inland in many places at ten we received practique and proceeded towards the city as we sailed in, the water very gradually shoaled until we reached the inner roads, where lay a large number of vessels whose lighter draft enabled them to come thus farther in. We proceeded still further, and came to an anchor in fourteen feet of water off the Catalina Mole, in the midst of a crowd of lighters, shallow coasting schooners, river steamers, and other small craft, still, however, a considerable distance from the shore. We got into our dinghy and proceeded to sail toward the end of the pier. So shallow became the water, long ere we reached it, that even our little boat bumped continually against the bottom. For half a mile or more, we sailed through a large fleet of carts and horses, for in this extraordinary port of Buenos Aires, merchandise has to be transshipped three times between the vessel 14 miles out in the outer roads and the railway trucks on shore from vessel to lighter, from lighter to carts drawn by amphibious horses, and so to the railway. This port, if it can be called such, of Buenos Aires, is a very unpleasant place to lay in, whether one be in the outer, inner, or small craft roads. For this coast is quite open to the Atlantic on the southeast, and when the wind blows hard from anywhere near that quarter, a very short, dangerous sea soon rises on these shallow waters. The Argentine Republic is very unfortunate in the matter of its ports. Save far south in Patagonia, where there is little, if any, commerce, there is no harbor worthy of the name. Just to the south of the city of Buenos Aires, a small river runs into the sea, the Riachuelo. This has been dredged sufficiently to admit small craft. It is the headquarters of the Italian river schooners, which are here built and fitted out a large town has now sprung up around this port the boca inhabited almost exclusively by italians and greeks a rather cutthroat place by reputation north of buenos aires and some ten miles from it is another river the lujan one of the many channels of the intricate delta of the river plate near one of its mouths is the little town of san fernando here the argentine government has constructed docks and here are the naval stores and workshops it is a sort of argentine cheatham but unfortunately the entrance of the river is impeded like all others hereabouts by a bar and there are times when the water is so low that a vessel drawing only eight feet has to wait weeks before it can cross it once within the river there is plenty of water to lie up buenos Aires was of course impossible so we had to choose between these two harbors for the falcon during our stay here we decided on the latter or rather on the river tigre which is a branch of the Luhan. on its banks and close to the tigre railway station is the boathouse of the english rowing club our friends recommended us to drop our anchor close to it as being a quiet spot where we would be unmolested and where we would have the advantage of trains running into the city at short intervals we lay at anchor off the Catalina Mole during the night, tossing about very uncomfortably in the short seas. On the morrow, the 23rd of January, we weighed anchor at 1 p.m. and proceeded in charge of a pilot to the River Tigre. A fresh wind was blowing from the east by south, and we sailed rapidly along the low coasts. The pilot kept the lead constantly going. As we approached the mouth of the Luhan, the water gradually shoaled, for here the alluvial matter brought down by many great rivers of the delta have formed a great bank known as Las Palmas that stretches far out to sea. From two fathoms we shoal to ten feet, then to nine, then to eight. The pilot looked anxious. How much did you say you were drawing? he asked. Seven feet six inches was the reply. Well, we may do it. We'll hit the channel soon and be in deep water besides the mud is soft here we can drive her through it another cast of the lead showed us we were in seven feet of water bump bump the vessel went as she sailed over the mud before half a gale of wind with all canvas set we shall be in deep water soon said the pilot but the river is precious low there should be more than eight feet here by rights another cast of the lid indicated the depth of only six feet and the falcon after vainly attempting to force her way a little further stuck firmly to the great disgust of the pilot who seemed to be surprised that a vessel drawing nearly eight feet of water could not sail when there was a depth of six we quickly lowered all the canvas on deck while jerdane who had promised himself a pleasant evening in town with some old friends admonished that unhappy pilot with his usual eloquence there was no particularly pleasant evening for anyone that night we got two anchors down and proceeded to wait until some sea wind or flood or other phenomenon should cause the waters to rise an event which might be in an hour or in a month as far as we could tell and the pilot could not enlighten us the water was still going down for in three hours after we struck we found that there was a depth of only five feet around us the wind now freshened considerably and howled and whistled through our rigging it was a weird and melancholy scene from the falcon's deck a few miles to the port hand was the low leaden colored shore of mud a leaden sky was above and the choppy seas of dirty water that were around us were of still more dismal a shade towards evening the rain commenced to fall heavily and the wind increased till it blew a gale from the southeast this made matters look rather serious for us for this coast is a lee shore to this wind which blows straight from the atlantic the seas became higher and higher and occasionally washed over us and had we bumped about throughout the night in the manner we did at first falcon strong though she be might possibly have broken up but this southeast wind blowing straight into the estuary from seawards is the wind of all others to cause the waters of the plate to rise rapidly, for it stops the currents from proceeding out to the ocean and drives them back toward the delta. In about an hour, the water had risen upwards of two feet, and we were afloat once more, riding safe to our two anchors, only striking the bottom with our keel at long intervals after some higher wave than usual had passed by. We remained at anchor during the night, rolling about very heavily but we had good holding ground under us and good ground tackle to hold on by else we should have felt more anxious than we did riding out a gale of wind on this lee shore in fact we got off very well considering everything and much better than some others did for we afterwards found that two schooners had been driven ashore at buenos aires that night and broken up at daybreak the wind moderated and came round from the northeast while the water commenced to fall again we weighed anchor and proceeded to cross the bank towards a buoy that marks the entrance to the channel not without touching the ground occasionally at last we found ourselves in deep water once more and sailed into the lujan which we found to be a narrow river with low banks overgrown with forests or willows after ascending the stream for about two miles we reached the junction of the tigre and the lujan and proceeded up the former river a few hundred yards till we reached the rowing clubhouse we brought up alongside the bank put out an anchor ahead and one astern and took a warp to a tree on shore on looking around us we were very contented with our new berth it was the snuggest that the old falcon had known for a very long time the banks of the river were thickly grown with graceful willows and other trees while well, handsome villas were scattered here and there, with beautiful gardens of subtropical shrubs and flowers stretching from them to the water's edge. The captain of the port of the Tigre came off to us, inspected our papers, gave us practique, so we were free to take train into Buenos Aires. On landing and looking around us, we found that we were in a very different sort of country from any we had yet visited. The delta of the Parana is one vast flat jungle, scarcely raised two feet above the level of the water and intersected by innumerable creeks and channels that flow sluggishly between islands of every size only a few of which have been inhabited or for the matter of that have even ever been trodden by the foot of man the richest portion of this mosquito infested labyrinth and the most thickly peopled is in the neighborhood of the tigre this, indeed, is a beautiful region called the Venetia of South America. Here the many islands are covered with a prodigal natural vegetation and very forests of peach trees, for the fat alluvial soil is as rich as that of the Nile banks, and the river is constantly overflowing it to leave fresh deposits. French and Italian immigrants possess many of these islands, and cultivate on them millions of peaches and splendid vegetables of all kinds very pleasant little farms these are each family has a little island to itself surrounded by narrow creeks a secluded little paradise among the drooping willows the house is built invariably on piles so as to be above the level of the waters in time of flood the most lovely roses and other flowers grow luxuriantly around the homestead the only means of communication is by water and every morning can be seen canoe after canoe laden with fruit and flowers floating slowly down the willow shaded canals to market the light-hearted owner singing merrily as he stands up in the stern propelling his little craft with one long oar as they do in the venetian gondolas there is a particular dream-like beauty about this enchanted region that strikes all visitors to la plata the citizens of buenos aires are very proud and fond of the tigre its banks are a favorite resort on Sunday, and many a pleasant picnic party and Fete Champetre enlivens the isles in the summer days. Before anyone decides to purchase land and settle among the channels of the delta, he should first consider one or two rather serious drawbacks. In the first place, the mosquitoes are terrible. In the second place, real property hereabouts is by no means unmovable these islands and creeks are ever-changing. If you buy an island one year, it may have grown to double its original size by the next, or it may have disappeared altogether. Where houses once stood, deep waters now roll. And on the other hand, the peach trees grow thickly where the river schooners were wont to sail a few years back. End of chapter 7